You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong. Today, we will be exploring the complex, confusing and critically important questions raised by the coverage of the Hong Kong protests. The ongoing mass movement was ignited in opposition to the introduction of the Fugitive Offenders Amendment Bill, proposed by the Hong Kong government, which would have allowed the extradition and detainment of fugitives who are wanted in territories with which Hong Kong does not currently have extradition agreements, including Taiwan and mainland China. Discussions of the protest in the Australian media are warped by the tensions between the need for the establishment to support the demands of the maintenance um, of a democratic system that, like our own, is rooted in a history of British colonialism, with Australia's crucial strategic and economic relationship with China also a major factor. Whilst the upheaval in Hong Kong continues, the Australian media is also ramping up xenophobia and paranoia with incessant coverage of supposed foreign interference in our major institutions. Both the Australian Labor and Liberal parties are embroiled in scandals arising from donations from Chinese investors and the links of politicians to the CCP. The shameful history of Chinese racism in Australia extends back to Federation and perverts coverage of the issue to the detriment of Chinese Australians and greater collective understanding of the incredibly complex forces at play. Our guest today is Yang Chen, a policy analyst at China Matters and Rider. After moving from China to Hong Kong to study a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy at Hong Kong University, Yang relocated to Melbourne to study a Juris Doctor at the University of Melbourne. He is currently publishing a series of articles attempting to untangle the complex legal, historical and cultural context that has resulted in the current crisis in Hong Kong in order to offer a more nuanced and informed view on the crisis. Welcome to the show, Yang. Thanks for having me, Liam. <laughs> Anytime. So first off, did you want to explain to our listeners um, why you were inspired to respond to the, what uh, you perceived as the grossly biased and one-sided coverage of this year's Hong Kong protests in the Western English language media? Um, and you looked at it with a legal, economic and socio-historical analysis in addition to your living experience of witnessing the escalation of the political crisis as a former university student in Hong Kong between 2014 to 2018. Um, yeah, um, when I first moved to Hong Kong in 2014, that was sort of the beginning uh, of a series of massive protests. Um, um, so the Umbrella Revolution, um, which I believe many of you still remember, um, happened in September 2014, so right after I started university there. And back then, I didn't know much about Hong Kong's political system. Um, and um, I moved to Hong Kong because I sort of wanted to flay the authoritarian uh, system in China. So I had all my sympathy um, and solidarity for Hong Kong people. Um, I attended the protests, um, and even though that could have 
um, could have affected my career um, in back in China. Um, so I was very uh, supportive of all their demands and uh, what uh, whatever. Um, but as I spent more time in Hong Kong and spoke to more people, um, I realized, um, you know, it was not that black and white. Um, there was, I experienced day-to-day um, racism, um, xenophobia, uh, and um, also, you know, as I studied uh, philosophy uh, in my undergrad, I uh, became more critical of capitalism, uh, which, you know, is, you know, the most defining characteristic of Hong Kong, I would say. Um, so, uh, you know, all these things, I kind of just connected the dots um, gradually and realized, okay, this is actually much more complicated. Um, and, um, you know, as I read um, the coverage on Western social media, I um, realized um, this is um, just, it just made me really angry, basically. Um, um, and, um, and this is something that I can actually... Uh, draw my ex- uh, personal personal experience to, and uh, actually, uh, quite uh, lo- know quite a lot about it because I also studied um, Hong Kong history um, in my undergrad, and uh, Hong Kong has a very complex history that not many people are familiar with. So I thought, you know, it, this would be a good chance for me to um, also just develop my own um, political views and also communicate with people from you know different backgrounds um so really yeah which is that um yeah so as you've just said um you see like the um that the coverage in western media is quite one-sided and it's preventing a more like informed view on the situation in hong kong what sort of things do you think are being overlooked or ignored by western media um you know um yeah there, there's so many of them um when the bill first um came out um the coverage was like, oh, the bill would have allowed um, the surrender of fugitives back to mainland China. So a lot of people were under the impression, including me, to be honest, for quite a while, uh, that the the bill was specifically for uh, mainland China. Um, and then I realized um, actually the bill was for um, any um, jurisdiction in the world that um, doesn't currently have um, an, an agreement with Hong Kong, and there was a very lengthy process um, built into the mechanism. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot more to it. Um, so um, it's 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 just very simplistic to think that oh, Hong Kong government pr- proposed this bill so that they could send political fugitives, political um, descendants, back to mainland China, and it's just. Not um, that's a huge um, speculation, um, and you're ignoring the fact that Hong Kong uh, doesn't have many um, many extradition agreements, um, especially when you compare Hong Kong with countries like the UK. And because of that, Hong Kong has become a, a safe haven for a lot of fugitives from all over the world, and definitely from mainland China as well. So, isn't that a problem that needs to be solved? Um, so, yeah, uh, that's just one example. And, like, what sort of narratives are emerging from the coverage of the movement, like, by the media in Hong Kong specifically? I I know you studied there. So, like, could you touch on how their media operates differently considering the unique, like, sociopolitical context in Hong Kong and what, like, is it in support of the protests is the main thing the media is pushing or is there more complex stuff because of the relationship with China and then also it's, yeah, just whatever you think about that. Um, There's pretty much only 
one voice, one single voice in Hong Kong media, as far as I can see. Um, there are a, a, a few, only a few um, outlets that are considered pro-China. Um, so the, the, it, and they are supposedly are connected with the government, um, blah blah blah. But the mainstream media are all very um, pro in uh, in not pro independence. Um, some of them are, yeah, but most of them are pro uh, so called pro democracy, pro protesters. Um, so there, there's not much um, variety in opinions. Um, not that I've seen. So the narrative is that. Uh, China is uh, uh, gradually uh, eroding freedoms of Hong Kong uh, because you know that's just what China is. You know, it's um, it's a fund- kind of a fundamentalism. Um, so they truly believe, or they try to p- portray China as this authoritarian regime that just constantly wants to uh, bring uh, Hong Kong and uh, even Taiwan uh, and its control. And, uh, you know, there's not much nuance in there. It's just, you know, it's just simple as that, you know, China is evil, China is authoritarian. Mm. And mm. we as Hong Kong people, we need to fight for our freedom because uh, we deserve that. We have a, a justified uh, right to having these freedoms uh, because um, the uh, Sino-British Joint Declaration, because of the basic law, uh, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, and also these young people, they are fighting for our future, so they're completely what whatever means they use um, is justified, um, and um, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. Um, so obviously, like the alternative political system in China means that their media operates differently um, to Australia's. Um, so. What what sort of comments can you offer in terms of like how the crisis is being covered there, um, how like it's being portrayed, um, yeah? What the general sentiment is that the mainstream yeah. would be hearing about? Sure. Um, one thing is um, Chinese media tend to attribute the protests to foreign interference, um, so. Um, it's instigated by uh, America, the UK. Uh, so uh, there's a huge um, emphasis on the foreign influence part. And um, they definitely try to stir up a lot of nationalistic um, sentiment in, in mainland China as well um, to emphasize that Hong Kong is part of China and uh, these young people, they are misguided. And um, uh, so we, we, we should support them. So they definitely... Uh, don't want to instigate hatred towards Hong Kong people. That's not what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. Um, it's more just like, um, it's more the anger is more directed at foreign powers, um, especially the UK and the US. Yeah. Um, so in your initial article, um, you focused on the misinformation concerning the legal implications of the bills. Do you want to like explain on this and maybe touch on why, like, we're hearing a different story, perhaps, than is the actual one? Mm-hmm. Um, well, as I said earlier, um, the bill, uh, it was not directed specifically at mainland China. And also, there was a whole process um, designed to ensure the rule of law uh, and due process. Um, so um, the, the the fugitive would be... Uh, 
like attending so so the future and um, there was a very lengthy process so it would go back and forth um, between the government so the executive branch of the uh, of the uh, the Hong Kong state so called um, and the judiciary um, so um, and it would take years so it was not just like oh if Hong Kong government wants to uh, send someone back they can just do it easily it's not like that so the judiciary plays a huge part in this and and Hong Kong judiciary <clears throat> is um, at, uh, you know as of now is still very independent and it, it follows the common law tradition and the uh, highest court in Hong Kong the court of final appeal um, has um, many many uh, very distinguished um, judges from uh, all, all across the common 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 law world including uh, some former High Court um, judges from Australia. So, uh, as we can see, that um, even if the government wants to misuse this bill, um, the power that it would give the government, um, the judiciary would still be a very effective safeguard in making sure that um, people are not just being arbitrarily, randomly sent back mm. to China or anywhere else in the world. And another thing is um, there was a list of crimes that were listed um, that would qualify someone to be to even just initiate the extradition process. And these were all serious uh, offences and political, uh, political de- um, descendant was not one of them. Um, so so that, that's another thing. Um, so I, I don't see anything wrong with sending someone who has committed murder, for example, to... Um, be sent back to um, the original original jurisdiction. So you know none of these factors. I didn't read any of these in any Western mm. media coverage, and I did my own research and also saw um, some posts on Twi- uh, Weibo, which is um, China's version of Twitter. And then I realized, oh, there's much more to that. Um, and I actually looked into the original text of the bill, and you know then I came to these conclusions. Um, yes, just quickly on that. So, like, is like on platforms like Weibo and stuff like that, and in like the Chinese state-controlled media, uh, is there a, like a message that this bill is like really necessary? Like, is, are people saying it, it's something that needed that that's needed? Um, I feel the focus has shifted from the bill itself to the wider yeah. issue about Hong Kong. Um, I can't recall any explanation of the necessity of the bill um, um, in Chinese media. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think many Chinese people are aware of these uh, technicalities either. Uh, so, yeah, so the bill itself, um, no, I don't think many people either in mainland China or in Hong Kong actually understand much about it. Yeah. Um, we'll be right back with uh, Yang shortly. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labour Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. 
The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Welcome back to Communication Mixdown. If you're just joining us, uh, we've been discussing the coverage um, and things that are being lost in discussions of the Hong Kong protests with Yang Chen, a policy analyst at China Matters, um, who's currently writing a series of articles exploring the crisis. And, um, yeah, so um, now let's move to some of the like socio-political factors that are behind a lot of this. Like both Hong Kong and Australia, for example, exist in the shadow of British colonialism and this legacy like profoundly shapes the structuring of both societies. And in the Australian media, we often see this manifest in deeply racist reporting, which up, which ultimately like upholds white supremacy in Australia. But how does it manifest in Hong Kong where it's like torn between like British colonialism and the legacy of that um, in between, like, the, like, China and the, like, two systems, one country system, like, system? Um, Yeah, um, well, economically, um, Hong Kong still has um, a very um, capitalistic system. So that's a colonial legacy because when the British were there, the... um, uh, operated this um, laissez-faire um, economic policy, so very little government intervention because Hong Kong was created as a free free port for the British to trade uh, in Asia. Um, and um, Hong Kong is still pretty much like that. Hong Kong has been ranked as the freest economy in the world for many years in a row. Um, so we, so we, we definitely see that. And the Hong Kong people are actually very proud of the fact that they have such a free economy Um, whereas China uh, has this um, well so-called socialism with Chinese characteristics um, but in fact it's a form of state capitalism as many people would argue Um, so a lot of state control um, in the economy um, which Hong Kong people uh, think is um, backward Um, so, so you can see this dichotomy uh, that's just one example. You can see this dichotomy in Hong Kong, um, China versus the West, um, uh, economically, politically, culturally. And uh, there's this racial hierarchy in Hong Kong where they pretty much believe that everything Western is superior. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, the economic system, that was just one example. Uh, Language-wise, um, I was studying at the University of Hong Kong, which is an English-speaking university. Um, uh, all the courses are taught in English, apart from Chinese. And um, local students would uh, only speak English to uh, non-Cantonese speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, Western students in general just received much better treatment mm-hmm. uh, from local people than mainland people or even other Asian students. Um, so y- you can see this, definitely can see this post-colonial handover um, where people are um, have this racial hierarchy yet. Uh, and they might not talk about it, but you can see it manifested 
um, in everyday life. And is like that post-colonial hangover and racial hierarchy, is it like throughout Hong Kong? Like is it in the Hong Kong media and Hong Kong pop culture or, yeah, like is it reflected also in that in addition to like the education system and day-to-day life? Um, <clears throat> Hong Kong media, um, I, to be honest, I did not consume much Hong Kong media content when I was there because I just realised um, how rubbish most of the stuff yeah. was. Um, and um, <clears throat> so I can I can mainly talk about the English language media there because that's that's what I used to read. Um, so yeah. South China Morning Post and Hong Kong Free Press, these are the two main most popular English lang- uh, language media outlets. Produced um, in Hong Kong. Produced in yeah, Hong Kong, yeah, yes. So yeah. yeah. Um, South China Morning Post uh, is now owned by Alibaba, yeah. um, so a Chinese e-commerce company. Um, but their stance hasn't really changed much. I haven't noticed anything. A lot of people were really worried when Alibaba purchased the company, um, but they, they are still uh, pretty much you know what they used to be. And... Uh, um, and what was their stance? Is it like- they're, they're, they're very. Um, they have very. Um, um, I think they're they're, they're rel- relatively balanced compared to other mm. Hong Kong media outlets. Um, of, of course, there's a lot of negative coverage of China, um, but also they <clears throat> occasionally uh, publish articles written by their um, uh, certain experts. Um, um, you know, expressing something different. For example, um, the former chief. Prosecutor of Hong Kong, um, he actually published a series of articles on uh, SCMP, which I highly recommend, uh, explaining um, the bill and uh, a lot of um, things related to the protests. Um, so, so, so that one is relatively um, relatively balanced, but that's not what most Hong Kong people read because yeah. it's, it's it's English, it's in English. Yeah. Um, so it caters to the. Um, more educated and more wealthy yeah. part of Hong Kong who yeah. uh, actually speak English um, and also expats. Uh, the other one is HKFP, Hong Kong Free Press. Uh, it only came about a few years ago um, and its chief editor is a British person, so I don't remember his name. And that one is very clearly anti-China, um, mm. very biased, I would say. Um, there's everything to do with mainland China there is negative. Um, so, and, and, you know, just, just simply the fact that this one, um, claiming to be the most unbiased, uh, media outlet in Hong Kong is led by a white person and people don't think there's something, you know, I'm not saying that a white person shouldn't be doing that, but you just, you know, there's a, there's definitely a specific undertone there. Um, so, sorry, that wasn't a, a very good example. But No, no, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Australia, for example, has a long history of xenophobia and anti-Chinese racism. And today we see in the media a moral panic about a supposed Chinese influence extending all the way from parliament to the campuses, which has occurred um, simultaneously with the Hong Kong protests. So, like... What, what, how and why do you think this is spilling out into Australians' perceptions of the upheaval in Hong Kong, both in the media and in society, considering the fact that at the same time we are so linked to China in terms of our economy and, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I think Australians are definitely very worried about um, so-called Chinese influence on campuses. 
uh, these Chinese students um, often they have very nationalistic rhetoric um, and clash with Hong Kong students, and um, people tend to side with Hong Kong students because they are supposedly fighting for freedom and uh, democracy. Um, so, so people naturally assume, and even the the media coverage that I've seen kind of insinuated that these Chinese students have been basically brainwashed into mm. thinking certain things, mm. and um, uh, by the Chinese state media. So yeah. they are, yeah, they are just acting on China's behalf, and many people are very concerned with that. And because considering everything else is going on in uh, Australia and yeah. at the universities, especially. Yeah, and that's not a particularly accurate view, correct? Um, I mean, um, I mean, it, it is true that a lot of these Chinese students probably don't have very nuanced understandings of uh, the issues, and a lot of them are in, uh, indeed influenced by Chinese media. Um, but to think that this is um, sort of orchestrated by the Chinese government, yeah. um, I think that's maybe a little bit too far. Yeah. Um, so. The the mass movement in Hong Kong poses, like, interesting and complex questions for the left. Like, in the left, I've seen, for example, some sections of it who support the CCP, but others staunchly oppose the CCP, and whilst they oppose, like, the violence from the Hong Kong police and they celebrate the mass struggle, they acknowledge that, like, they don't support the pro-capitalist sentiments that are, like, heavily involved with the pro-democracy movement. Um, and I've also recently read an article about how the organised left is weak um, in Hong Kong. What are your feelings about the responses from, like, progressives, both, like, on the ground and in the media? What do you think they're missing or getting right? Well, um, 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 I think a lot of people don't, don't realise how um, many Hong Kong people just aren't aware of the fact that um, m- most of their problems are caused by their capitalistic system instead of China. So China has mm. become a scapegoat for all their uh, problems. Um, and uh, progressives overseas in Australia, I haven't spoken to many people. And um, um, I think I, I think it's a, it's a tough one because on the one hand, China does have um, a sort of authoritarian system. Um, there's not much democratic freedom, so the left, the left definitely doesn't like that. But on the other hand, China is not as capitalistic, and um, actually do, uh, and China does have uh, have a lot of socialist elements in its economic and social system, which I think would benefit Hong Kong, and which I think the West could learn from mm, absolutely so it's it's a bit of a mixed bag and and i can understand um as a left left-wing person left-leaning person you would feel quite conflicted uh, as to the current issues um we're running out of time but i think probably the most important thing considering like your breadth of knowledge is like what advice do you have like for how we could move towards a more nuanced discussion of the issue, yeah, like in society, in the media, like in our communities. Um, well, um, oh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess you know, for for the ordinary person, if you're generally interested in uh, the Hong Kong situation, uh, you need to look 
into the history there and the you know to learn uh, a lot of facts about Hong Kong and um, from there maybe you'll reach your own conclusions. So it's really not that difficult. Um, and uh, media like the are uh, I still think media currently are very influenced by um, businesses. Um, mm. So they're owned by big. Uh, corporations, so for, I I don't know how to change the media. I think that would be quite difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yang, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, and that was Yang Chen discussing the protests in Hong Kong and how they're playing out across the media, across the legal system, and throughout global politics. And that's all from Communication Mixed Down this week. Thanks once again to our special guest Yang. Um, tune in next week, Mondays at 6pm, and let's go out with a track by Who Runs the Place from the uh, Asian Dub Foundation. Who runs this place? Who runs this godforsaken place? Second son of mad, yourself talks back. First son of mad, you talk for yourself. Second son of mad, yourself talks back. Please select the following option. It's no longer an option. Select the following option. Means you have no option. Let's go!